0: host, solo mum and life coach, Mel Johnson, and every week I'll be asking my guests their view on dating, relationships, societal pressure, and how to make the final decision that solo motherhood is the right path for you. In this episode, I meet Professor Joyce Harper. Joyce is Professor of Reproductive Science at the Institute for Women's Health, University College London. She's a Director of Education at the Institute for Women's Health, She's the co-founder of the UK Fertility Education Initiative and founder of the International Fertility Education Initiative. She's worked in the fields of fertility, genetics, reproductive health and women's health for over 30 years. She's passionate about education and discussion on all aspects of women's health. She's the mother of three sons born through IVF and we have a fascinating discussion about fertility education and much, much more.
1: Hello, my name's Joyce Harper and I'm Professor of Reproductive Science at the Institute for Women's Health at University College London. And I've been working in the fertility field since 1987, when I worked as a clinical embryologist for about five years in one of the UK's very busy fertility clinics at that time. Um, But I've got my own fertility journey. I had always planned to have children when I was around about 30. Um, but at 30, was in a relationship with someone who wasn't ready. And we split when I was 32. Um, got in another relationship with someone who wasn't ready. Um, and at 35, was single again and was very aware of my biological clock. And um, literally said to everybody, I need to find someone to have children with. And with my partner who I had children with, I discussed it on our very first date. I was wow. really so committed to wanting to have children. Uh, we started trying straight away. We never used contraception and I knew I was at a key stage and was very unfortunate that we had problems and started on the roller coaster journey of fertility treatment. And um, by the time I was 39, I finally got pregnant and delivered my first child just before my 40th birthday which was not what I planned at all and then had um, a couple of years more of treatment and actually from frozen embryos had twins when I was 42. So I've been on both sides of this fence and it's a really hard journey to go through fertility treatment and I really don't want women to have to end up in that IVF clinic as I did. So I'm working really dedicating all my time now to working on fertility education to make sure that men and women are totally aware of the limitations of fertility, especially female fertility decline.
0: So I'm so excited to talk to you more about this because I think um, for the people listening, this is an absolute topic of great interest. And I think an absolute passion of mine is fertility education. So if we start there, I think that um, I did a poll on Instagram a few days ago to say, did people before they started a fertility journey feel educated on fertility? And 90% of people, said um, no they didn't know that we were born with all our eggs they didn't know that you know the the main statistics so um what are you doing can you just share with us a little bit on what you're doing on fertility education
1: yes so um when i first started working in fertility back in 1987 i was really aware that my friends who are non-scientists and even not in the field of fertility were really not aware about their fertility. They didn't know how their menstrual cycle worked. They didn't know that they, when they ovulated, et cetera. And I did start to write a book, but I was in my early twenties then and I um, realized I wasn't really qualified. And anyway, time disappeared. So um, a few years ago, I thought I really need to, to get going with this book. And I was horrified that we really hadn't advanced in 30 years and we were still not educating people about fertility. Um, I set up a website first, about about five years ago, I set up a website called Global Women Connected with the view that we talk about all issues relating to women's health, but we do do a lot about fertility. Um, But I've been very lucky, Um, uh, publisher Hodder have agreed to publish my book, so we're just putting the finishing touches to it now. So my book is about the fertile years and really starts at puberty and ends at the menopause to try and educate men and women about all of those issues that I've talked about. But in 2016, Adam Balin and I, and we got together with um, Jackie Boven and we set up the UK Fertility Education Initiative and we've been campaigning for fertility education. We've made two animations. And we um, campaigned with the Department of Education to get the words fertility and reproductive health in the new UK curriculum for reproduction and um, sexual health education. So we're so happy that that's now there. So we're going to have this taught in schools. And I'm doing a lot of research around this area. We're doing a lot of surveys to ask from school children to just with people of reproductive age and and those who are older and childless about their views around fertility. And I've just got together last year, a group of uh, international um, really people, experts in the field from psychologists, um, embryologists, scientists, clinicians, um, who work in this field. And we've got together, we made a fertility education poster last year, which has nine key points about fertility education. And we've had it translated into almost 30, just over 30 languages. And I'm now working with different countries to set up national committees so that we can get this fertility education rolled out internationally. And we have formulated the group now and we're calling ourselves the International Fertility Education Initiative. So we have got a lot of work to do. Mm-hmm. The UK is not as bad as some countries. Some countries don't even teach sex education, never mind about fertility education. But we are seeing the global fertility rates are decreasing. So when I was a child, we used to say that people had 2.4 children. And now in the EU, but this is called the total fertility rate, which is the average number of children a woman will have in that country. And the total fertility rate in the EU is now 1.6. And actually in some countries, such as Greece and Poland, it's as low as 1.3. So that means each woman on average would have 1.3 children, uh, which is not enough actually to keep the population going. And there was a paper published last week from the US um, doing predictions about fertility rates in different countries and globally. And they felt within the next 80 years, there would be several key countries that would have a significant reduction in their population because of this reduced fertility rate, which would actually cause um, economic issues, Never mind about issues for people that want children. And I think a lot of this is because people don't know this information and they're missing the boat or they're having families much smaller than they had wished for because they've left it too late
0: wow it's fascinating stuff it's very interesting about the 2.4 children because we talk a lot about that in our group thinking that that's the the standard so it's very interesting that that's actually changed and much reduced so i loved your poster the nine um points and 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 know that you're sharing some of that information on instagram so for the solo mum community so well i guess at this point single women who are thinking, is this something that I want to pursue? Um, You know, have I got enough time? What are some of the key points of those nine that you think they need to consider or they need to be aware of?
1: I think the number one point for any woman considering having children is that we have to understand that we are born with all the eggs we're going to have. So we, we actually have the most potential eggs they're called primordial germ cells when they're very immature. Um, These cells we have the most of them when we're actually a fetus in our mum's womb and by the time we're born we've lost quite we've lost the majority of them we've only got one to two million left. By the time we get to puberty we've again lost most of them we've got about uh, three to four hundred thousand left which sounds like a lot but from puberty to the menopause we actually lose about a thousand eggs per month i know we think we ovulate one which is right but we uh, we lose a lot the the others just die it's a really bad design (laughs) Um, and um and um so even if you're on the pill or any hormonal contraception those thousand will still die you won't ovulate that one but you will still lose those others so nothing can change the day we go the, well, the time we go through the menopause. So by the time we're about 37, we've lost the vast majority of those eggs. And so the real crux is that from the minute we start puberty, our fertility is starting to decline, but it becomes really important around age 35. So this is the age where a growing number of women would not be able to get pregnant. And if we look at all the data that all the authorities put out about um, live birth rate for women, whether it's natural conception or fertility treatment, they normally group women under 35 together, and then women over 35, we start looking in two-year batches because with each couple of years the fertility rate goes down and down and down. And we have to remember that we become infertile about 10 years before the menopause. So By the age of 45, almost every woman is going to be infertile. There'll be a few everyone always puts on. My mum was 46. My mum was 47. There will be the odd woman who will get pregnant naturally. But for the majority of women, our fertility declines at 35. By 45, we're more than likely infertile. So every year is really important. So this is why at 35, I realized how important this is. And I would like to say I did... I did consider solo motherhood and, um, I mean, this was, I'm 57 now. So this was a long time ago and it was, um, quite rare for women to do this, but I, I did consider, I spoke to a couple of friends, um, about whether they would consider fathering my child, my children. But then I, I, was lucky to, to find a partner, but it's not, it's not easy. <clears throat> it wasn't easy back then. It's not easy now to find a partner.
0: And I think, I think you're absolutely right. I think it isn't easy to find a partner and that is what all of the Stalk and I audience are finding. And it's, um, I think the most common thing that I hear from women who contact me is I can't find a suitable partner, but I, it is my preference to do this in a more traditional way with someone. I'm just going to give it another six months to meet someone. And um, one of the questions is, how do you sort of make that final decision? So I help them from an emotional point of view around, you know, letting go of some of the idea of how it would be with a partner. But from um, a, like more of a medical point of view, is there any advice you would give in terms of how to help people who are approaching 35 or maybe are even older um, of what they can do to try to help them make a decision?
1: this is a, a question i'm asked a lot um and it, even i think i think you need to start thinking about this at age 30 so i would move it down um i think at age 30 women need to decide do they want to have children and there's a growing number of women who decide not to have children and that's that's absolutely a valid option of course if you decide you want to have children i think at that age you need to think well, do you do you understand about female fertility decline and how significant it's going to become in the next few years? Um, hopefully that's ticked. Um, then you need to decide uh, if you have a partner, is the partner ready? Um, and if they're not, then try to convince them. Or if this is really what you want to do, you have to move on. Um, and I was in that situation. Um, if you don't have a partner, then um, I think solo motherhood should absolutely be something that people think about there is the option if you're not ready then to have uh, a child is to freeze your eggs but egg freezing is incredibly difficult it was it was something I always talked about as I as I said when I was in my early 30s I, I wished it had been there when I was 32 um I it would have taken the pressure off but we have to remember that it's very expensive it's no guarantee The earlier you freeze your eggs, the more successful it will be. So, don't think um, at 32, oh well, I might meet someone in the next few years, so I'm not going to freeze my eggs. If you have the money, I would say do this earlier than later. You, you, at age 35, your eggs are definitely going to be less viable than they were at 32. Um, And the the other option is just to wait and to risk it. But as long as you risk it, knowing the information, making an informed choice. So just to recap, ideally start trying around the age of 30. Egg freezing is an option, waiting is an option, but there there are limitations to all of those. So when you get to age 35, I think women, I think my advice would be really don't wait anymore. If you still haven't, haven't met Mr. Right, at age 35. Think about the last few years. Has anything changed? Will the next six months really make any difference? And I think, I think if I'd have got to 36 and hadn't found a partner, I would have tried on my own for sure.
0: And with egg freezing, my understanding from the knowledge that I'm learning is that it's more um, successful to do embryo freezing than egg freezing. Now, I know a lot of people don't want to do that because they're doing egg freezing in case they meet someone later down the line and then they can use their own eggs with the person they've met sperm. Uh, But is it true that um, it's more of a, a, you know, it's, it's more it works better if you're freezing embryos rather than eggs.
1: That is totally true. So as I said, my I've got twins that were born from frozen embryos. The success rate with frozen embryos is incredibly high. Um, the clinics do only freeze the good quality embryos. So they're starting off with a very good um, base, if you like. But the um, a- embryo freezing is as successful as uh, a fresh embryo transfer for sure. So if you've got a really good quality um, embryo, especially if it was frozen before you got to 35, then that does give you the optimum chance. So what I know what some people do when they freeze their eggs is leave some of some as eggs and they make some embryos with donor sperm um, as a sort of you know plan B, plan C. Um, so that would certainly be an option. Um I did also want to mention the 10-year rule in the UK. You can only at the moment actually they've just extended it slightly because of COVID. But um, essentially, we've got a 10-year rule in the UK, which I've been trying to fight. But so to, for a woman to freeze her eggs for 10 years um, is crazy because you might freeze your eggs at 30. At 40, you might not be ready. You might have to discard those eggs. Then at 42, you might meet somebody. You then your eggs then aren't working very well, and you might opt for egg donation, which would just be. Insane when you had your 30-year-old eggs in the freezer. Um, but one way to get over that would be, um, rather than discard them, would be to make them into embryos. And then you've got another 10 years. Ah, okay. So that, that is certainly an option to, to let them, um, if you're not ready to transfer them, inseminate them with donor sperm and then refreeze them as embryos. Okay. So, But, I mean, ideally, we should change this ridiculous rule in the UK, but I mean, as far as the other countries go, other countries also have uh, legislation around egg freezing. It's illegal still in some countries, which again doesn't make any sense. And um, some countries have very strange rules. So in France, you can only freeze your eggs if you donate some. Um, I know, which is is there's some really strange legislation globally, and we're not the only country to have a 10-year rule um but in other countries like spain you can freeze your eggs for as long as you like there's no legislation so we've got these very odd views around fertility, female fertility um that really don't make sense so a man having a vasectomy can freeze his sperm for 55 years <laughs> wow and chances are most men that are having a vasectomy haven't really had children so th- these rules don't make sense yeah. and and we we are trying to fight them but it's very very tricky and it's hopefully, just...
0: hopefully they'll change you know as we're progressing down this journey and if people are choosing to freeze their eggs now hopefully in the next 10 years that i hope would have changed and anything that this community can do to get on board and help with that change i mean lots of people ask how they can because i think everyone thinks it's a bit of a bonkers rule so um yeah more than happy to get involved in helping to change that and so one of the things i wanted to ask you about um the fertility education in schools one of the things that sometimes people have said when i've said i really want to change fertility education is that they think it's dangerous because the initial reason why we probably teach people as we do is so that there's not, um, you know, too many underage pregnancies, because we almost, I think, certainly when I was in school, scared people in terms of I felt like if I just brushed past a boy, I'd get pregnant. You know, it's really quite a fear that was put in um, in the education I had. Is there been a discussion about how you find the right balance in that?
1: Yes, certainly. We have been um, asked, surely now everyone will go out and get pregnant once you teach them about female fertility decline. I really can't see that. The, all the data about sex education is that if you teach children the right information, they actually um, will, they, they don't, they're not so inquisitive and they actually um, wait longer. Before they actually get involved in sex, sexual relationships, and that there's there's so much evidence about this, and I feel very strongly that we teach children a very negative view about sex. We teach them, oh, it's you 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 mustn't get someone pregnant, and you mustn't get a sexually transmitted infection, uh, and and then we've got contraception and all of these things are very negative, mm-hmm. and I think um, with fertility education we can teach a really positive view and also teach people about children about families about modern families about new ways of making families and um, we often discuss solo motherhood also solo fatherhood and also how same-sex uh, male and female couples can have children this is this is actually point nine of our facility education poster um and interestingly in some countries we had to remove point nine because these treatments are illegal. So treating single or same-sex couples in a, a, quite a number of countries is actually illegal. And this is something I really want to bring up and discuss in the future. And with our British Fertility Education Initiative, we've made two animations about fertility education, and one of them's about modern families, and again talks about solo parenthood. And I think it's really important to put these things on the table with children i think you can absolutely teach them in a way where they're not going to run out and have a child i I really just, just can't believe that i think it's really archaic but people still do still ask that question but i think we teach them um how how to understand we need to teach women and men how to understand the menstrual cycle um, what happens when a woman's having a period? What happens when a woman ovulates? And we do teach them some of that, but again, we don't teach it in a, in a very positive light. And we, I think we could really help women understand how to identify that they're ovulating. So this is a whole chapter in my book. Um, but, um, you know, there's simple ways for a woman to check whether she's ovulating and there's even fertility apps now, um, that will help, Help women understand this, and I think understanding that you're ovulating, but also maybe understanding that if something's not right, um, if a cycle's very irregular, if you're um, not uh, not you find that you're not ovulating, these are things that can help you maybe speed things up and and visit a fertility specialist if needed. So I think this is absolutely vital to educate children in schools. We, we have a questionnaire that we're ready to, we were just about to start taking into schools um, for lockdown where we want to ask children um, around between ages 14 and 18 about what have they been taught with regards to sex education and fertility education. Have they been taught about miscarriage have they been taught about abortion? Have they been taught about how to get pregnant? And I have done some work with some groups of teenagers, and their answer so far is no. They haven't been taught any of these things. Some of them haven't been taught even uh, about some really basics. Um, but then when you ask them about, you know, do you want children in the future? Um, they almost all say yes. And um, I think it's really good for them to think about their future. We we do a lot about education, about careers, but a major part of all of our lives is our family. And I think it's really good to, to spend some time while they're younger to think about family and think about, do they want children? What age would they like to have children? Who would they like to have children with? Really important.
0: Fully agree. And I think that one of the things that I definitely found and that I speak with a lot of other um, single women about is that we just presumed it would happen. We didn't we didn't think we had to try or put in any effort or think about it. It was almost just that fairy tale of, well, we'll just meet someone, get married and have children. um, And it doesn't just happen. And so um, actually talking about who you would like to be in a relationship with how to have a good relationship maybe you haven't had good role models and how to do that learning about some of that i think is just going to be so valuable and i think um will really reassure people to hear that we're trying to educate more about modern families because i think one of the fears people have is well if i have a child in this way when they get to school will they suffer because they'll be the odd one out and um actually hearing that we're educating much more about inclusivity and um you know all different families in different ways i think will hopefully help to reassure people I think one of the things I just wanted to pick up was um, just in terms of the role the media plays in all of this because one of the things that if I got you know £10 for every time someone said this to me I'd definitely be super rich All oh, but Janet Jackson um, had a baby at 52 and I know that we can't specifically comment on exactly how that happened because we weren't there but just from a from a medical point of view, my understanding is that it's highly unlikely, slash, possibly impossible that that was with her own fresh eggs.
1: Brilliant question. Again, something I always talk about. We can think of a lot of celebrity men who had children in, father children in their sixties and seventies. We've got Mick Jagger, Jeff Goldblum. It's just the list goes on. They all had something in common. They had a much younger female partner. And you can go and look at the ages of their partners when they gave birth. So when we look at celebrity women, we can see a few. We've got Janet Jackson, Rachel uh, Weiss, just recently. There's very, very few. And they're all hovering around the late 40s, early 50s. You can't think of a celebrity woman who had a child at 60 or 70, like Mick Jagger or Rupert Murdoch, etc., And what we can say is that anyone who's having a child in their late 40s, early 50s, any woman, is definitely using expensive fertility treatment. Exactly what fertility treatment they're using is up for discussion. Maybe they froze their egg when they were younger, um, or they used a donut egg. Those, at the moment, are the only two options. They would not have got pregnant. There is no ivf pregnancies with a woman's own egg as far as i've asked millions of ivf clinics over the years and you can look at the uk data and the usa data which is all publicly available we stop normally stop at age 44 45 and we don't go above that women in an ivf unit do not get pregnant with their own eggs at 46 okay. it would be a miracle absolute miracle um, uh, so anyone over 46 who's having any fertility treatment is either a frozen egg or frozen embryo. Um, my fro- I have frozen embryos, for example. Um, but all um, they've used egg donations.
0: Okay, very clear. And um, I think what is sometimes misleading is that you often don't hear about that in the article. So I do think there's a big uh, percentage of women who are hopeful um, that it will be, you know, relatively straightforward to get pregnant. Um, and of course, my community would all be using some sort of assisted reproduction anyway, because they, they're using donor sperm. Um, but, but I think they still will read some of these stories and, and it makes it think it's easier
1: than it potentially is. Yeah, we have to remember that fertility treatment is very, very expensive. So it's not the normal to, to do that. And in a, in a fertility clinic, they really um, worry when they have patients who are over 37, 38. They know that that success is, is going to be significantly decrease so we really have to think about that
0: yeah and i think the other thing to say is obviously i don't want to scare people because there are a lot of people in their late 30s early 40s and there are a lot of people who have had successful fertility treatments but it's just definitely it can be harder and longer and potentially at the end not successful so i think it's important to say it it is possible um in your late 30s and early 40s but um but it's harder
1: so we we've had some discussions on social media about the fertility education poster and even before i launched it people some people expressed concern that it was going to scare women and some women have said oh well you're telling me this now but now it's too late so there was one woman who com- a couple of women actually who commented about the point about being um healthy and of a of a normal um, body mass index before you get pregnant because this, this affects the future health of your children as well as your own fertility, um, and I absolutely appreciate that. Um, and but 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 I really think that we have to educate. We can't say we're not going to tell anyone this information because some people might be. Um, at, at a point where this could really cause them anxiety and, and I really feel for them but we've got to catch up because we should have been doing this 30 years ago and um, if I ter- could turn back the clock I'd finish that book in 1987 and spend the rest of my career rather than being in the laboratory I would be out educating women um, so that is a big regret of mine but I think Um, I want to run some focus groups with men and women to ask them about the fertility education poster. And I know that the older age groups are going to be anxious. And I wish I had um, a magic wand that could help them more. But I think this information is um, really important to know and that hopefully in future generations, we won't be in this situation and people will be uh, fully aware of, the limitations of female fertility
0: yeah and as you say what we're trying to do is give people all the information so that they can make the best most informed decision for them um and hopefully help people not look back and regret not moving more quickly on stuff because they didn't have all the facts um so I think the last thing um that I'd just like to ask is around the social the social and and um, ethical considerations so have you done any research into um you know some people are worried about using donor sperm is it fair on the child is it a selfish decision have you done any research into that?
1: I have and I'm really glad that you asked me that question. So um, there's a lot of research that's been done and all the research is showing that the families are all very successful and there's no problems. A lot of work's been done by Susan Gollenblock in Cambridge. She's followed many families through, uh, all different types of modern families through and um, the research shows um, everything's rosy um so that's really great information um i think one thing i one message i really would like to to get out to solo mothers is to think about where you get the sperm from we did a study back in 2016 um looking at using um online sites to get the sperm donor and we were really concerned that um it was so easy for women to uh, meet a potential sperm donor on a website um, but what was disturbing was that some women knew no information about the donor there'd been no genetic tests or sexually transmitted infection tests on the donor um, some of the donors seem to coerce the women into having what they call natural insemination where they have intercourse and um, I, I really question the motivations of the men um, but one of the biggest concerns to me is that some of these men have said they've fathered hundreds of children and you've got to think about your child your child could then have potentially hundreds of half siblings and nowadays with genetic testing like 23andMe you can find your uh, if you've got any relatives that have put their DNA in one of these banks you can find them and there's a, a big movement with children born from donor conception to uh, find siblings, and even some of them have found the donor. Um, So it would concern me that your your child would have all these half-siblings. I I think that, I I find that really um, a negative point of um, using a donor such as one you meet online. Um, Some parents use an online donor to co-parent, which I think is amazing. So I think if you're, if you have a, and I know many women that have had really good, solid friendships with their donors, and it's been a really positive experience. But so I just say, think very carefully, don't go with someone who you don't know, um, and who and who turns out has fathered hundreds of children. Um, but the second point is that um, I have done some research on telling children. And I think with solo mothers, it's it's probably you know, almost 100%, if not 100% of women do tell their children, explain things. And we've done a lot of research with the Donor Conception Network in the UK, um, who obviously very much for telling children. And we've we've looked at the use of their books. They make excellent books to help find the words and the language to start these discussions when children are younger. Uh, Something we do know from research that if children find out uh later um and sometimes in in heterosexual couples uh or in couples it's when there's a, a separation or a divorce and they find out in anger um or from other family members then that can be destructive to that person but i think with solo motherhood i think it's uh unlo- very unlikely and i think that um I, you can correct me if i'm wrong but i would have thought that this conversation is happier happen early and i think discussions using um, books would be it's really really helpful and they're called our story with the donor conception network and they're really great you can personalize them put photos in um, so i i think those are two important things that we need to think about when using donor conception
0: yeah i think um the donor conception books are brilliant so i've got the um the the one that and i read it to daisy and she loves it uh, one of the interesting points on it is and um, one of the things i feel is that you know daisy's two and a half and she probably knows a lot more about you know reproduction and how things work than some of my friend's children who were like eight and nine and so it's an interesting conversation one of the conversations i'm going to have is with my friends on how they're going to explain things to to their children who are older and more inquisitive about this and they need also the words to help explain things Um, but i agree i think most solo mums say from the very beginning read the stories there's so many different ones um and my understanding i think is that kids accept things very easily it's often adults that have we put more meaning to stuff and we overanalyze and overthink stuff so um but it's reassuring again that there has been research done and the findings are showing that it's not having a negative impact on the children which is great
1: I think a loving parent is just obviously worth their weight in gold. And um, there are so many uh, marriages that stay together that probably shouldn't and can be really destructive. So, you know, I think with solo motherhood, you're doing something that you feel so strongly about. And I, I think it's just wonderful.
0: Oh, I, I totally agree um so where can we direct people so if people want to know more about this and learn more about some of the stuff that you've been working on for sure I'm, i i think people will want to read the book when it's ready um where can they go for more information
1: so um we have a uk website it's um a little bit basic at the moment but it does have the key information on and if you just put uk. In, it will come up it's actually housed on the British Fertility uh, British Fertility Society website but fertilityed.uk will direct you there the, um, I do some work with um, the amazing group in Australia and they've been so ahead of us uh, they're ahead of everyone the Australian government f- um, funded the fertility education initiative in Australia and they have the most amazing information they teach in schools but they also have the best website which is called yourfertility.au for Australia um, and uh, I think it might be slightly different there, that but anyway if you put your fertility Australia I'm sure you'll get to it I think it's got a dot com at the end <laughs> um, but that's really amazing and very interactive Um, if people want to follow me I um, put posts on globalwomenconnected.com and I've got my own website joyceharper.com and on social media I write lots around fertility and uh, Twitter and Instagram I'm at profjoyceharper
0: fantastic well thank you so much for taking the time so fascinating uh, and I think it will help so many people um, educate themselves to make the best decision for them so thank you thanks very much mel thank you if you've enjoyed this episode of the stalk and i podcast i'd hugely appreciate if you rate review and subscribe i look forward to seeing you again next week